afternoon. You're on the panel, RNZ National. Uh, Wallace Chapman here today. Michelle A. Court, writer, commentator, comedian and Connor English, chairman of Agribusiness NZ and former CEO of Federated Farmers. A lot of discussion regarding uh, packaging. Uh, now, here's one. I've just got to mention this. Uh, Chris says, Wallace, you mentioned the sardine cans. Uh, the openers now are much better than they used to be. They had a key that you inserted in a tab. Yes, uh, I remember. Remember that? Remember that? Oh, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. They're from the, uh, the, the good old days, eh? And then with some force broke <laughs> 1940s, the... 1940s, I think you'll find. <laughs> uh, with some force broke the top section of the can and rolled it up around the key. Gosh, yes. I ran away from home when I was a 13-year-old. I rode my bike 50 miles to Whanganui. I was starving, so I went into the supermarket nicked a can of sardines. When I tried to open it, the key snapped off. I tried bashing the can to death on the steps of the town hall to no avail. Eventually, hunger got the better of me, and I surrendered myself to the police. They fed me well and looked after me until my dad arrived to collect me. Oh, how old was he, does he say? Oh, he, was, he was 13. 13. Oh, bless his little cotton socks. I can feel all the emotions, the frustration, the anger, the... Oh, I'm good. But I didn't tell the police about the sardines, he says. Oh, no. Yeah. Quite right. <laughs> Nine past four. Uh, the panel now, good news today for Wellingtonians in particular. No cases of COVID-19 uh, have been reported in the community today. However... The Ministry of Health has revealed that two contacts of the Northern Territory minor with COVID-19 have since travelled to Aotearoa. Both are in isolation and being tested according to the type of contact they have had with the case of the mine. One has returned a negative test already uh, and the result for the other individual is expected tomorrow. Meanwhile, as the New Zealand Herald reports, a group of scientists have created a list of key things that they believe the government needs to urgently address, including upgrading the alert level system. With us uh, is epidemiologist Professor Tony Blakely, who is based in Melbourne. Professor Blakely, kia ora. Welcome to the panel. Kia ora. First up, what's the latest in Australia, uh, Tony? I mean, cases seem to be showing no sign of abating. Well, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of variation. So Sydney's in lockdown, as everybody knows. They had 18 cases today, but they will probably get up over 40 cases in the next couple of days. I would pick them come down. Northern Territories has Darwin in a lockdown due to about four cases there, associated with a traveller coming out of Brisbane and with various mine connections. Queensland has had a couple more cases today. They're not in lockdown, although the Premier is saying they may need to. WA, Western Australia, is with restrictions, masks on because of one person who flew over from uh, Sydney, but they're looking okay at the moment. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, Tasmania, Victoria, Gosh. Victoria, we're looking good. We're nothing now for about yes. eight or nine days. Uh, and uh, South Australia is good. A- ACT is good too, but because they're landlocked by New South Wales, they normally get bracketed with them for restrictions. Uh, just reading the uh, Australian Medical Association Vice President, Dr Chris Moore, he basically said, this is, this is from the aged today, he said, look, what you're seeing is a cross-country seeding event. This is a different beast. You've got to go hard at this, really. That's your best chance. Is this a really different thing with this, uh, with this variant? Yes, it is. Now, he's correct with the Sydney through to WA um, because that was the same Delta one. But actually, interestingly enough, um, the Brisbane one that then jumped over to NT, is uh, we think it's Alpha. But what it does demonstrate is that, be it Alpha or Delta, but particularly with Delta, it's so much more infectious that if you don't sort of, I don't want to use the word lockdown, but if you don't 
dampen things down quickly, you can quickly get into spreading all around the place. Now, uh, just news, I will bring our panel uh, in very, very shortly, but news just to hand, Tony. Uh, New Zealand's Cabinet is seeking advice on making scanning of QR codes mandatory. Yes. And it'll make a decision Good. next week. <clears throat> Your thoughts on that, Professor Blakely? Good. Um, my colleagues wrote the piece in the Public Health Expert blog and it was in the New Zealand Herald talking about all the measures and they were focusing on the apps. The apps are great, but they haven't worked very well for reasons I don't fully understand. But the QR coding here, now that we, we've we had, had a bit of a mess for a while with different systems, but now we have one system from Victoria, most other states the same. It just means the contact traces move so fast. However, it is not a panacea for when you walk past another person in a department store and you want to know exactly who you walk past. If, and this is the big if, if we had apps like a COVID safe app where it was easy to get everybody you've been near through Bluetooth and the, you know, for less than five seconds or five seconds or longer, it would be great. But I'm yet to see that developed well. QR codes are much simpler. It's um, fantastic that they're going to make this mandatory, uh, and and I, you know, I, I'm, I've been waiting for. I've been feeling like I was missing something. I have never really got my head around why um, wearing masks in public places, uh, outdoors um, and indoors, <laughs> why isn't why isn't it a rule that we have to do that and that we have to scan in before we're allowed into a place? I feel like I've missed something somewhere because it's so simple, and all we're doing really is developing a new habit. Yep, it's a new culture, and uh, the scanning over here has been compulsory, and there have been fines for both patrons who blatantly refuse and owners of shops if they, you know, repeatedly offend. It doesn't often get put in place, but it's there. And, you know, we all make mistakes. Like I've worked in the service station, I forget the QR code, but we're all reminding ourselves now that we've got to make this, as you say, a habit. Don't, isn't the solution here, though, is just to get everyone vaccinated, uh, like Michelle's just done? Because once you've got that, um, it makes a big difference. We've got a couple of kids in New York, and they're living life just like we used to almost. So um, New York's out and about, going everywhere, doing everything. And, and I'm sure they've got new cases every day, but because they're vaccinated, um, they just get on with life. Yes and no. Yes is that the the pathway to get out of this is through vaccinating as many people as possible. The no is the following, is the current variant um, has a reproductive rate of five, which means, or higher, which means that you need 80% of the population immune to stop any spread, which means you need 90% of the population vaccinated, including children, to achieve that target. It's a really, really big ask. So getting as many of us vaccinated, but we don't throw out the things that we do now. Right. Wearing masks. Yeah. So you do both. Good contact tracing. Yeah, it's a yeah. package. Yeah. Vaccination okay. alone is not our exit path. Unfortunately, it used to be last year when the virus wasn't as infectious, but now it's more infectious. It's just one thing we do with other things like masks and contact tracing. Mm. Professor Blakely, um, just looking at, at how New Zealand has handled this uh, pandemic thus far, and, uh, you know, we know we're out of the woods, but we have, um, you know, we have seemingly been pretty lucky or done well or whatever. Um, what do you think? What, what else do we need to do? Right. Uh, well, the first thing is to recognise that if we include New Zealand like one of the eight states and territories here, we all get lucky and unlucky at times. So right. the comparisons are made are just a bit ridiculous. What can we learn from each other? That matters more. Well, QR right. codes is the one I was going to mention first, so that's done. Um, things like pre-testing, uh, pre-departure testing and post-departure, sorry, arrival testing with rapid antigen testing with flights and stuff is a good idea. 
the masks um, really should be a feature of our lives normally for the next two or three years until we eventually get out of this on public transport, in supermarkets, all those sorts of places. Uh, contact tracing, I'm not sure what's happened in New Zealand, but it's very clear over here that really good IT systems behind that have just okay. made them move so fast. I'm not sure where, how good the IT systems are in New Zealand. I simply don't know. Mm. One, th- one Pamela asks, uh, Tony, why can't we make masks required on buses? Uh, it's driving me nuts to wear my 100% of the time, while fewer and fewer mm-hmm. wear one, including the driver. And that's something that I've seen quite a bit, Tony. I mean, you see this, this culture of mask wearing in other countries, and if we can make uh, QR tracing, uh, uh, COVID tracing mandatory, what about masks? Absolutely. It should be mandatory. It's just... It's just nothing about it. Well, certainly having a system whereby when you've got a sniff of something happening or a couple of cases, is it should be mandatory on public transport and other crowded indoor environments. And then when you've really got something happening, like, say, um, sort of 10 or 20 cases per day, then you've got masks required pretty much everywhere outside the home. Michelle? I just wanted to ask, how do we, Tony, do you reckon, how do we get away with dodging, it appears, this bullet from the Australian man who spent a weekend in Wellington with the Delta variant? It seems extraordinary that we, so far, I'm touching wood, have managed to get away with it. Um, Well, remember that when somebody's infected, quite a few people don't pass it on to anybody. So that's the first thing. So there is luck involved here. And remember, your pers- the person who came over to Wellington and then came back again um, had, had contacts but not actually necessarily infected people on the ground. So the person who's come over well, and, and then has the contacts, so they're not necessarily infected. I'm, I'm feeling optimistic that Wellington will dodge a bullet on this one. Yeah, great. Amazing. They had a pretty good time while they were here, though, didn't they, when you look at where they went? Terrific plan. <laughs> yeah. He should yeah. be a travel well agent. <laughs> Art galleries, cafes, good taste. Yeah. Yeah, uh, long first... lunches. <laughs> Professor Blakely, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, it is 17 past four. The panel, RNZ National, what is the end of the road for plastic items like cotton buds, straws, PVC, polystyrene, food packaging and those little fruit labels. Environment Minister David Park has announced that from late 2022, at the end of next year, PVC meat trays, polystyrene, takeaway packaging and degradable plastic products and harm the environment will not be allowed. Now, the ban also includes single-use plastic items like single-use produce bags, cutlery, plates and bowls, and more work is going to be done on how to introduce phase-outs of types of expanded polystyrene, single-use cups, including coffee cups, and wet wipes. Uh, These plastics often end up in a landfill and uh, degrade down into microplastics, a scourge for ocean pollution to discuss. Kate Meads is a waste minimisation expert of Waste Free with Kate, who holds waste-free workshops and is often known as the nappy lady by advocating (laughs) cloth non-disposable nappies for some years now. Kate, kia ora, welcome. Hello, how are you? (laughs) Good. What do you make of this announcement? Oh, look, I think it's been a long time coming and it's definitely something that needs to have some action happening around it, uh, just purely because of the amount of plastic we've got these days um, that's just sort of coming into the environment. But, I mean, it's everywhere. Like, you go to the supermarket and it's literally every single thing, bar a few fruit and veggies, are in plastic. So it's definitely something that's needed um, and it's, it's a good start. 
<laughs> and Kate, it's another thing that we've just been talking about wearing masks and using your COVID app to scan into places. It's habit forming, isn't it? We just, um, you, I went somewhere recently where a bar had plastic straws for the drinks and I looked at it as though, you know, I'd gone to the doctor and he'd put a jar of leeches on the table. It's like, what, what year are we in? So we get used to it pretty quickly, right? Oh, we do. I mean, look at the plastic bag ban. Everybody was quite angry about it at the at the start, um, but now it's it's quite normal to take your own bags to the supermarket, mm-hmm. and and it's normal to go shopping in a mall and and not get a bag. And you almost hear like you see people saying, "Do you do you need a bag with that?" And people are like, "No, I don't need a bag." You know, like it's it's a good it's a good change, and it's only taken us a bit to get used to it. I'll bring Connor in shortly, Kate. But look, uh, businesses are encouraging to find reusable options. What if that drives up costs for me? What, what if what if what if the consumer has to pay for that? Well, I think that at some point um, the the manufacturers have to take some responsibility. It's not just uh, the consumer is always going to end up paying in the long run, but. Just for example, like recently I started getting my milk from my butcher because I saw they were bringing in this raglan, raglan milk. And I had to, it's in the glass bottle. And he said to me, look, the first bottle was $8. And I was like, whoa, like that's, that's a lot of money. But he said, but then when you bring the bottle back, um, you, you, get your, you get your money back. Basically, $4 is, I'm paying a deposit. And every time I now go in and take my bottle back, I get... I get I only pay four dollars for right. the bottle of milk. Yeah. Um, yep. So there's like an upfront cost, but then as as long as I do the the right thing and take the bottle back, then I'm paying the lower cost. And if more and more people did that, the cost would become lower. Isn't it fascinating that this is that's exactly how we bought milk in the 1960s? Because I'm very oh, old. Right. You know, you oh, had right. you had your glass milk bottles and you paid whatever it was. Uh, yeah, I remember it being four cents, but it was pennies before that. And you, but if you wanted to go to the dairy on the way home and buy a glass bottle of milk, you had to pay more because you were pay, paying for the glass bottle. So mm. it's I just find it fascinating that we're going back to, you know, in the 1970s we phased out paper bags for groceries because we wanted to save the trees. And brought in plastic. Right, okay. And now we're getting rid of plastic because it's killing the fish. Well, let's bring in Connor. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I think the challenge is just getting practical things at work. If you're phasing something out, what are you going to replace it with? And, and you know, um, using glass bottles for milk may may work in some situations. Um, but, you know, it's just having enough time, I guess, to, to get the technology to, to produce new things that, you know, perform the food safety functions yeah, what, what, or the stacking that, functions. Or... What about that, Kate? What, what, what if there are unintended consequences, uh, as Connor suggests? I mean, some plastics might not have suitable alternatives. So, for example, increased energy cost and emissions by replacing plastics with aluminium substitutes. Well, I think it comes down to, like, yes, we do need to look at good good alternatives, but the reality is that there there has to be an end market for the plastic. Like, if it's a single-use plastic and there, there, and there is no end market for it, we, we basically need to design it out of the process. So um, hmm. things like polystyrene burger containers, they, they shouldn't even exist anymore because you can literally, like McDonald's is on board, they've got it in a cardboard container okay. that at least is compostable. Um, whereas, um, you know, polystyrene ones just shouldn't exist anymore at all because they can't be recycled. There's no, there's no benefit to them at all. Um, and, and they should just be gone. Um, you know, even Connor, a sushi t- tray. 
sushi yeah. tray is a number six plastic. It's not recyclable, even though it's clear. I mean, there'll be some low-hanging fruit, won't there, like like the, the items that you're talking about, and I think that's great. I mean, the, the one that's always sort of um, been a revelation to me is these micro-bead plastics in shampoo. That's something I never knew about, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and it, it just bamboozles me as to why you would need plastic in your shampoo in the first place. <laughs> But that just sort of that just sort of came in, isn't it? Like especially in the body washes, the exfoliants, and there was uh, again no thought of that end um, result of those microplastics when they were brought in for people to make themselves soft and you know beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and again, like that that sh- sort of thing should be thought about before it's even produced. And Kate, so, do you? Do you feel like that is happening at the design end, you know, that people are now not going to sit in a laboratory and say, I know what would make people beautiful, plastic beads. Are they going <laughs> to stop themselves before we even get to that stage? Well, I think that we're not seeing that yet. I think that eventually it is going to be part of the process. Like if you're going to make a product, then you have to prove that it's been able to be recycled or um, be reused or there's got to be some solution for your product before you can introduce the new waste. Mm. So I, I have no doubt that that will become part of the process. But see, at the moment, things like the things that frustrate me is like a um, if you buy ricotta cheese, um, like the round containers, that's in a number five and that's recyclable. But if you buy a cream cheese, it's in a number six, which most councils in New Zealand, it's not recyclable. And so then I'm like, well, why can't mm. all of those products be in the number five? Because mm. the only plastics yeah. that can be recycled in New Zealand are ones, twos, and fives. So threes, fours, sixes, and sevens should should be not allowed to be yeah. produced in the yeah. first place. We've had so much response this morning. We're going to have to come back to this sometime this week, actually, because people are clearly interested uh, in it. But for now, though, Kate Mead's waste minimisation expert, thank you uh, for your time there. Uh, Grant says, what do you do with hay bale wrappers? They have to last three years at least, and then what do you do with them? Biodegradable is not an option. Uh, a lot of people happy with the um, with the little stickers of fruits being looked at. Yeah, uh, I hate yeah. those stickers. <laughs> I hate them. They're a nuisance, aren't they? Aren't they oh. annoying? Um, uh, and uh, news just to hand, uh, the government is looking at mandating face masks at level two or higher. Mask wearing is already mandatory on public transport. You're on the panel of RNZ National, Michelle A. Court and Conrad English with me today. Now, here's an excerpt from Charlie Chapman, The Great Dictator, a satirical drama and a condemnation of fascism, anti-Semitism and Nazism. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. As an aside, the film was banned in several Latin American countries where there were active movements of Nazi sympathisers. Taika Waititi has said that Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator provided inspiration for Jojo Rabbit. Meanwhile, Chapman, the musical, has been cancelled over concerns about Charlie Chaplin's womanising and scandalous life. A week after announcing uh, Chaplin, the musical, as a spring show, the University of Canterbury Musical Theatre Society, Musoc, cancelled the planned performance after concerns were raised about his past. Uh, it's... Uh, understood the the Adams Family musical will replace Chaplin. Uh, members of the club have raised concerns regarding the predatory and inappropriate conduct of Charlie Chapman during his life and career. And I just wanted to go on the panel and get your thoughts on this. Um, Michelle A. Court, 
You yeah, first. yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Too, um, I'm always thinking about how much we can separate the art from the artist. Can uh, we? Well, no, and yes, it depends. It's it depends. It's moments in time, and if I mean, the first thing I want to say about this particular example is that it doesn't sound like it, it was a decision made with a lot of argument. They seem the university seems very relaxed about it. We had a chat. Some people said they didn't want to do it, so we thought, oh, well, let's do another thing, which sounds um, very um, calm and their reasonable. Choice. Yeah, their choice. Charlie Chapman not cancelled. They're just not doing a show about him this year at Canterbury University. Charlie it's Chaplin all. not cancelled, they're just not doing a show about it. Isn't it the same thing? No, he still exists. You can still watch his movies. You can still read about him. Somebody else will put a show on. They just decided that they would rather do another thing. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable response. And they might change their mind in a Connor? couple of years. Uh, well, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're, we're all humans and no one's perfect. Uh, and... Sounds like Charlie Chapman wasn't. Uh, I'm just wondering about the Adams family. Are they are they perfect? You know, uh, no one cousin. Perfect? It always a, has me just slightly on edge. I but have it, to say, you know, like where do you start and where do you stop on 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 this stuff, Michelle? Um, well, you start and you stop somewhere, right? So you know, for example, Louis C.K. used to be my favourite stand-up comedian, and now I can't enjoy watching him because I know the damage that he did to women in the comedy industry. And I don't. I'm not going to suggest that nobody ever sees him, buys a ticket to his show, I won't. That's my choice. I can't watch him without being aware that he shut a bunch of women out of their chance to shine in this industry. So that's my choice. Yeah, well, Hollywood's full of people who are probably not dissimilar. And we watch Hollywood movies and TV programmes all the time. So, as I say, it's where do you start and where do you where do you stop? And Everyone makes that individual choice, as you say. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Yeah, pr- pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do, I do think it's really <laughs> interesting when you take known misogynists out of the... We, we, we can choose from 40 million shows to do this year. Should we do one that's not about a known misogynist? Yeah, but, but, but hang yeah on. let's do Charlie Chaplin is... The, the Great Dictator is one of the great condemnations in film of... Uh, of fascism, Absolutely. it's one of the great, and so can't we, can't, also... we the, well, can't we look at the can't we look at the 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 decades long career that Charlie Hapton, uh, Chaplin had, oh, and actually speak to I Connors. think we have for quite a long time, for many many decades. We just happen to be living in an era where now we think about whether somebody has harmed vast sections of the of the community, and it's not like. You know, if you don't do a Charlie Chaplin musical, there are no other musicals that you could possibly choose. But Pick it's Charlie one. Chaplin. Yeah, wait, but, yeah, but, but, and you know what, him. What you know his work. You yeah. can see it. But, but, but such have a, a look on YouTube. Such an extraordinary life in so many respects, and I, I, I would have thought that it would have been great to do. I'm just just devil's advocate. Would have been so, wonderful to see a biography of this rich and colourful mm. life. Yeah, but yeah. there's lots of other rich and colourful lives. Well, I'm not suggesting that you delete every YouTube video and destroy but every you, movie that he's ever made. History classes won't be about any, anyone because everyone in history is, has been problematic when you look at through the eyes that we are these days. Oh, I, I think um, 
I think if they keep their place in history. I just don't necessarily think that you put a show on about them this year, mm. 2021. But it's not about, if someone puts a show on, doesn't mean that they agree with the bad behaviour of whoever the show's about. Except uh, the show's about his life in this instance. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I think you need a bit of diversity of view on things, don't you? But I, 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 Michelle, you know. diversity of views? Sure. Yeah, I think that's what we're doing right now. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> <laughs> and people should be able to express different views. I think that's Michelle, another issue they? that's sort of around this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course, yeah. No, robust discussion is one of my favourite things. <laughs> <laughs>